right, this is a first on hunkering down with Peter Shorsch. We're going to do a four-way. There's a, a lot of hunkering going on right now as the team from Kaleo Partners joins me, Glenn Kirkland, uh, John Menendez. Am I pronouncing that right? You got it. And the newest acquisition of the team. I mean, we were just talking about the last dance with Michael Jordan. I mean, this is ba- he's playing basically the Horace Grant role or the Dennis Rodman role. We're not going to say he's playing the Tony Kukoc role, uh, but Heath Beach. Uh, how are you guys? Good morning, well, Peter. Peter. I appreciate you guys coming on Skype. I'm embarrassing myself because you guys are like so technologically savvy. And right now Skype is kind of like dropped off as Zoom has gone up and like other like Google and Facebook have entered the video conferencing market. Um, but Skype is like old reliable right now. And so um, I appreciate you putting up with that. We're all watching each other right now. Um, why don't you go around and kind of just introduce yourselves to the audience and just little uh, thumbnail on who you are and what you do and really kind of touch on how you got into the political process or in, I mean, I know you guys do as much technology and procurement, but your, uh, what was your entree into the political process? Yeah, I'll, I'll be glad to kind of start us off, Peter. Um, uh, this is Glenn Kirkland. Um, I'm a founder and partner in Kaleo Partners, which John and I launched in 2016 uh, and really have been in or around the political process, call it for better part of a decade or so. Um, did not have really a conventional path um, to the political process. was born and raised in, in Tallahassee, uh, went off to school, came back um, and was really fortunate enough to um, – meet some individuals that had been in the process. Um, and a lot of those individuals are still dear friends of mine. And that as I counsel young people who may want to get in the process today, uh, I was blessed and fortunate enough that, that some of the top people were, um, that I would recommend today were the people that I got my initial experience with. So when I began to learn about the process, I was learning, uh, from some of the best in the process. So that's really what kind of sparked my desire to learn a little bit more about it. Um, decided to do that. Um, back in the early 2000s and, and the rest was kind of history. It's, it's been kind of one evolution from the next kind of in all, all pieces from, you know, the legislative side, the campaign sides, executive, and now on the private side since 2011. Glenn, before we move on to the other two fellas, I just want to ask the audience is probably asking right now, um, how much do you pay each month to license Matthew McConaughey's voice? Um, is that like, <laughs> that on like a like a can you do that like is there a service or like where does that come from um and is that like uh is that one of the things that you all offer well maybe yeah, that's i'm pretty sure we that's should. why glenn was late i think he was practicing yeah exactly exactly well uh it's funny i actually watched uh a matthew mcconaughey movie this weekend that was pretty good always enjoy him big fan of his um, for a whole host of different reasons but no maybe that's something we can talk about offline peter if, if you've got any ideas <laughs> on how we can uh diversify revenue at Kaleo and perhaps uh, get some type of revenue stream. I'm sure, we, I'm sure we can work some kind of arrangement out. Lots of voiceover work. I can see it in the future. Uh, hey. if, if, if I was not looking at Skype and like you just called and were like, hey, do you want to go to a, a Texas football game and, and time, <laughs> time is a flat circle? I'd be like, oh, whoa, how'd you get my number? All right. Oh. <laughs> John, tell us your story. Yeah, sure. 
Um, I, I always love uh, hearing others, you know, talk about how they got into the process. Uh, you know, there's a there's an a, an adage around the process of you know there's no one way in, right? And everybody's story is different. It, it totally is. Uh, it, it still blows my mind to this day to to kind of hear hear how people got in and things like that. But um, for me, it started back in 2006. Um, so my first gig was um, in the appointments office under uh, Governor Bush. Mm. Um, under the tutelage of the the great Celeste Lewis, mm-hmm. um, and and interestingly enough, during that time, I wouldn't say that that my my wife and I's relationship started in the appointments office. It certainly didn't, but I would say it, it was nurtured there. So we got engaged um, to, while we were both working in the appointments office. So she was working in there as well, um, and and ultimately, I had to uh, I had to decide uh, which was more important, my relationship or, or that job. Um, after we got married. So uh, I, I exited um, there and, and um, found my way back in in a variety of other roles as well over the years, whether it be campaigns or the legislature, which is where Glenn and I met under um, under Speaker Cannon, um, and and ultimately um, into the private sector uh, after that. So um, it was, uh, I'll tell you what, the opportunity to have worked under some amazing people, um, such as Governor Bush, such as, you know, Celeste Lewis, um, Dean Cannon, Matt Ball. I mean, the names just go on and on, you know, Alex Kelly, uh, the names just go on and on. And, and, um, uh, you know, you looking back and reflecting back on, on those times and, um, really, um, you know, you really realize how much of an impact they had on kind of who you are now and, 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 and your career ultimately. Uh, speaker Cannon came on the pod about a week and a half ago. And it was a good one. It's a, it's worth a listen. Um, I don't have many talents, but one of them may be getting people like Dean to kind of open up a little bit and have a little fun. <laughs> and which I know that he does. Uh, yep. He has it in him. It, it isn't. It's not like it's um, hard to scratch at it. But uh, it was good to get him in there. And I always, I enjoy busting all of the speakers' chops. Like I have. All of them kind of in an advisory role. Like I work with, you know, all of them, uh, even with Corcoran when he was out. And of course, you know, like I'm like, you are, like I'll go to Canon, I'm like, you are definitely one of my top five Republican speakers of the last decade. And 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 he's like, and they all fall for it every time. They're like, oh, thanks, Peter. And I'm like, and I'm like really? You didn't catch that? And um, so. <laughs> And the best way to get at Cannon is just talk about Will Weatherford. Um, and so the, the first couple of minutes with him is always like, man, do you see all the good publicity Will Weatherford is doing? It's because he's out there doing good stuff in the community. What are you doing, Speaker Cannon? Uh, so, <laughs> I, I love busting the chops. All right, Heath, awesome. you're up. Heath, you're up. You got your uh, uh, son and your Thank you, Peter. So, uh, all right, can you hear me? Yeah, you're good. Peter, can you hear me? Yeah, I can okay, hear you. All right. Yep. So uh, I, I kind of grew up in government. My father worked for local government, actually retired twice from it. And uh, I, I had uh, over 20 plus years in local government, worked for cities, counties, consolidated city counties. I was very fortunate to, uh, to join the state under uh, Governor Scott and uh, was very excited to have been retained under Governor DeSantis. Uh, and in so, uh, you know, I got to know both John and Glenn in my role working for the state. 
and just saw such a difference that when uh, when an opportunity arose, uh, it was just a, an easy choice for me to continue to do good things uh, to make the state better from just a uh, from the other side of the desk. So that's uh, that's my story in a nutshell. Um, who wants to give me the the thirty second elevator pitch on what the firm is about? Guys, I'll I'll jump in and do that real quick. I don't think I've ever done it in thirty seconds, Peter, but I'll, uh, I'll, I'll give it I'll give it a shot. Um, but no, I mean it, it really is a culmination of kind of what you've heard in all three stories, right? The, it comes from a background of having come up in or around the political process, which is a you know tremendous benefit when you're when you're in the business that we're in. We're fortunate enough that the three individuals that make up the firm right now come from very different perspectives um, in the process, so that gives us a good balanced approach. Um, but really just um, kind of as we matriculated out of the process into the private sector, had a lot of visibility around um, kind of the traditional consulting model, began to work more and more on the technology side, began to realize that the, the nuance, if you will, of the intersection of the technology business and government was different and that the model had to be tweaked accordingly. And that's really what we kind of built Kaleo around is what we called kind of the sales enablement of governmental advocacy, right? Both acknowledging the need for a sales experience and background approach, as well as the the traditional governmental affairs advocacy type of mindset. And we've kind of blended those two together, build a model, and that's what we've been been working to focus on. How many decades behind the private sector is the state of government's basic overall IT knowledge? Yeah, so it's actually it's ironic you um, you brought that up. I was reading an article this morning, I think it was in the maybe the New York Post or whatever, but it was about the former CEO of Google, Eric Schmidt, who's kind of devoted his work now to um, bringing those type of private sector mindsets to public sector. And it was talking about um, the role that he is basically playing now, mainly on defense issues. Um, but it's a really interesting read. I would, I would encourage you to, to check it out because it kind of talks about the brashness. He's sitting down with a four-star general and basically says, if you'd let me in your tent for I could solve most of your problems in 24 hours. And, of course, the general took real offense to that. Um, but it then goes on to talk about how they've been working together. Uh, so to your point, um, significantly, I would say, behind in varying degrees um, depends on you know, what the environment is. Um, but, you know, I think the current effects of what we're seeing right now around the pandemic in many ways have kind of sped up um, a lot of the technological advances, whether it be digital workforce, remote access, all of those types of things that are becoming a necessity now. Those are all things that the private sector have been doing for quite a while. And, and in varying stages, government has been doing it, but not taking a real enterprise approach to it. So, you know, I think that's been one of the silver linings, at least in the work we're doing day to day during the, the pandemic. John, uh, you talked about you had worked in campaigns. Uh, when was the last time you were on the trail uh, working on a campaign? Or do you kind of do you volunteer still for some candidates as part of the lobbying work? Or um, you know, our our the nature of of our of our business model, right? Um, particularly at being more more procurement driven, more more sales driven. Um, doesn't necessarily it doesn't necessitate the need um, to kind of hit the trail the way a lot of other firms do right when we do it um, it's 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 frankly about because we really you know care about that individual or know them personally and want to help them out so it becomes much more personal and less professional I'd say so that's so it's not as um, it's not as uh, significant each cycle the last time I was I was you know officially boots on the ground for, for a campaign 
was the 08 presidential cycle. Okay. Um, the late great Fred Thompson uh, uh, during during his his run. So um, so it's it's been quite a while that it's been my day to day for sure. Well, I guess I, uh, what I wanted to ask was, this, and I'm still trying to get a sense of it. And I was something I just wanted to ask techno- smart technology people is what the future of campaigning is going to look like. Yeah. It be you know when you're adding basically work from home to camp the campaign trail. What is that going to look like? Um, you know, going forward, and I just didn't know if you had a sense of that or not. I, I think it's going to change, and 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 so there's a lot smarter people to ask that question than me. But what I will say is, and, and it kind of dovetails dovetails on what Glenn was speaking of, and and directly relates to your question, which is, I mean, the whole world is going through a digital transformation right now, an accelerated transformation, right? Government's no different, and the way people, uh, you know, run for office is is going to be no different as well, right? For instance, there's going to be a whole variety of different mediums and and mechanisms to reach a voter that there wasn't before, right? Think about think about. Um, I mean, my mom is using Zoom and Skype and things like that, things she never had even heard of. Uh, you know, six months ago, she's almost 70 years old and she's using Zoom. She's ordering her groceries on Instacart. Right. So think about all these different ways to advertise or to reach a voter now that that weren't there before. Um, so I think it's going to change. I, th- I think I think it's going to change um, the way almost every single um, entity, um, you know, conducts their business in a pretty profound way, um, because I think people are getting used to used to working from home now. You know, I. I'd like to send my kids back to school, right? But I also um, can appreciate the merits of a Skype call or a Zoom call versus having to hop on an airplane or, or, or what have you. So I think it's going to change um, in a pretty profound way. I think one of the things people don't realize, not realize, is like they they keep thinking like, oh, well, you know, we're going to go back to normal, whatever that means. But corporations have made such an investment, and you're kind of saying this, in work from home technology that we're already down this road. Like this, they're not going to back off of this now. Now that they've set everybody up to work from home, they're not going to pull everybody back, you know, into the office. But I did like the way you said how your mom is out there. Kind of reminds me of like the Seinfeld episode when George is talking to his dad, and they're like they're both out there in the singles territory. You're like your mom's out there on Zoom. She's having Zoom happy hours. I don't even know (laughs) know what she's doing out there. All right, well. Go ahead. <laughs> I think really quickly too, Peter. I mean, an interesting piece of the voting side, in my opinion, all those things that that John was speaking to is driving uh, a disruption in end user behavior. I think what what'll be different or, or interesting to see is what is government going to do about voting, right? Because you got to remember that that what drives traditional voting behavior is because the voting systems we currently have require you to show up for the most part in person. And cast a ballot, and they, you know, that's just the way the systems have been designed forever. Absent, you know, some of the absentee ballots, military, and things like that. So, you know, I, I think there may even be a call for that, right? As the end users' perspective changes on how they can engage with government, government will have to change along with them um, to provide them the access and the means to do a lot of those things, which currently doesn't exist, right? Right now, even if John's mom was willing to vote digitally somehow that that doesn't in most cases uh, lend itself to her right now right so it's going to be interesting to see how how government and whether it be voting or you know a whole host of other systems that now are going to needed uh, are going to need changing all right Heath, i've got 
a tough question for you that you probably weren't expecting and you maybe I don't know if this hits home close to home or whatever but um, all right so one of the things that all of us on the journalism side we see that the connect system cost 170 million dollars or something like that and I don't know if you were involved or when you were in the private sector but just can you make us all feel smarter and explain what goes into a hundred when a when state government buys 170 million dollars like that like we understand when it's roads like we understand like oh they're paying for asphalt or they're paying for land what goes into the procurement side what are we buying as taxpayers at that point you know peter that that is an excellent question and i can tell you it's one that i've dealt with throughout my entire career uh both local government state government you, you know uh technology because of the the people behind it uh, you know, this isn't uh, um, an industry whereby you can get quick training over the over a course of a couple of months uh, and you can get to work. Uh, the the nuances behind developing a system whereby someone can go online to the internet. I, I mean, remember the the internet came about came about in the mid two thousands. So utilizing that infrastructure, utilizing the coding behind it creating algorithms. Uh, I mean, this, this is a time-intensive, labor-intensive effort. There is no easy button. Uh, I used to have a, a, a chief of staff who would ask me, can't you just get me a report that has XYZ? Well, if it's not written, no, I, I, I can't push a button and get it. Uh, and on top of that, you're, for, for the Connect system or any system, you've got to think what you're designing it for. Uh, State of Florida, it's it's the third largest state in the country. Uh, you know, we always want unemployment to be low, but you've got to factor in uh, to the great extent possible. And of course, you know, pandemic aside, you know, you try to make it uh, as robust as you can. Uh, but uh, you know, 170 million seems like a lot of money. Uh, and back in 2013, 2012, uh, it's it was still a lot of money. Uh, but the technology that we had then, what they had to create and who they had to create it, uh, you, you want a system that works, that works consistently. You know, when they implemented it, it had some issues back then, but it started to work uh, the way that it intended. Now, it took, it took a pandemic to break it. Uh, yeah, I think that's, that's important to note. Mm-hmm. You know, this, this wasn't, you know, um, um, something that was small, insignificant, but, um, you know, technology has always been seen as an expense and we really, really have to change the mindset that it's an investment. Mm-hmm. You, you would no longer build uh, an office building that didn't have electricity or water running to it. And to think that you wouldn't have technology, uh, it's gotta be a, a, a fundamental shift for everyone. Now with the pandemic and working from home, and what do we do with the digital transformation? Uh, you know, uh, we talk about, uh, you said getting back to normal. I like the phrase, the new normal. You know, what's it going to look like? Uh, how are we going to, uh, you know, at, at what point is everyone going to feel comfortable, even when the state's fully reopened, to go sit at a restaurant? Uh, Glenn, I, uh, I, I know this is, uh, this is insensitive. I don't want it to sound as craven, so I'm putting it on me. This is, the cravenness is on me, but... There are going to be some Bobby Axelrods out here. Um, 
you know, there's going to be a lot of Bobby Axelrods. You know, if, for people who don't know what I'm talking about, the show Billions, Bobby Axelrod, basically, he shorted 9-11. Um, or long, that's long story short. Um, is Are there Bobby Axelrods here on the technology side in Florida? Are we, like... Are there are there people that is this a time to make a lot of money for the technology firms? How do we how do we like you know I see all this money getting spent. How do how does state government uh, make sure that they're getting the best you know buck or best bang for their their buck at this point? Because it just seems like we're going to throw a lot of money at work from home technology and getting state government you know up and running that way. Like I don't. I, and I'm not saying it is or it isn't. Do we know if distance learning, if that's the, are we using the most efficient system or are we using a small system and we've had to scale up now? So how do we, how do we look, how does, how do we look out for that kind of waste right now? Yeah, so that's, I think, a great question and, and, and the question, right, for, you know, not only pre-COVID, but, but definitely to Heath's point, new normal, right? The, the one thing that I would make a point to mention um, whether you're talking about Connect or you're talking about the Florida system or, or any large system that we expect to be taxed, um, you know, under this current pandemic, right? Um, when, when we're talking about technology, we can't just talk about technology, right? The old saying is people process then technology and in that order, right? And when you look at large systems, when you look at outcomes, when you look at the things we're trying to solve for, um, you know, one of the shifts that, that we have been seeing in government, it's been out there in the private sector a little longer. But I can say that, that doing this day to day, we are seeing the stakeholders shift more towards that business outcome mindset to Heath's point. Why are we doing this? What are we building the system to do? If we're going to invest $170 million or whatever the, the, the number may be, or a lot of new investments that the state are making under the current pandemic, asking those questions about what is the outcome we're looking for, not just the technology we're looking to, to procure. So I think you have to put all three of those together because none of them work without each other, right? The people process and the technology have to be linked uh, and you have to be um, kind of outcome driven as it relates to, to what you're trying to achieve. To your point around opportunity, 100%, right? Um, there is a tremendous amount of opportunity um, in the current landscape with the challenges that we see out there. I will tell you that some of uh, some people are taking a more tactful approach to that opportunity than others, uh, as is always the case in a crisis. Um, one of the, the, the most gratifying things I've seen out of all of this is the technology companies, several of which that we work with on a day-to-day -day basis, have been able to step in, use their technology. Mm -hmm. Government has kind of gotten out of the way from a bureaucratic procurement perspective, right? And, you know, the normal government sales cycle is 18 months, right? We don't have that in this case. So, so kudos to the leadership of our state in many cases for, you know, streamlining that down to meet some of the citizens' needs and get some of this technology in place. But it's been really cool to be able to see existing technology come in, bridge the gap with government and solve real, solve real world problems, right? So whether it's getting Connect back up and going processing those applications, whether it's, you know, what's likely coming around the Florida system and SNAP and those type of things, you know, really using technology to get um, results for constituents to provide services in a time where they really need it. I can honestly tell you some of that stuff is going on and it's working well. Um, and and that's been that's been a real, you know, positive effect of, of a lot of this from our perspective and what we do today to day. John, before I ask you, um, well, 
how often do you guys get told in a meeting like, all right, give it to me in layman's terms? Like, <laughs> how often do you guys get where you guys have got to break down these kind of complex, like big technology, or are you dealing so often with other people in the technological sector that they, like, I, I wonder like the language that you all speak in and the technologists speak in, how do you translate that to lawmakers and so forth? I remember like when Uber was not here yet, people didn't even know what that word meant, you know? And it's like, like, is that a challenge in what you all are doing is like, you know, explaining, not explaining, but maybe educating um, even what you're talking about when it comes to technology and the advantages of with basically stakeholders who, you know, they may not be like lawmakers may not be as technologically savvy as as you all are. Yeah, absolutely. That that right there is a fundamental. Um, I'd say it's a fundamental um part and of, of our entire value proposition of a firm and, it, and it's a fun it's fundamental to our success and our client success and um, really what we try to do is is educate all of our clients um, to not talk about technology it's, it's not about technology um, it's not about your box your widget your solution your piece of software it is about the business outcome that your customer is seeking to achieve right so if it's the Department of Economic Opportunity right now, it's, hey, how do you help them process claims quicker and get money in, in Floridians' hands faster, right? That's the business outcome, right? It has nothing to do with your box or your widget. It's all about, you know, what KPI are you improving? What citizen outcome are you improving? Um, what, what kind of efficiencies are you bringing, right? It, it's about the actual um, business outcome and then you back in your technology because everybody, I mean, the technology works, right? You wouldn't have a, a logo behind your name and you wouldn't, you know, be a publicly traded company or, or have a lot of, um, you know, private capital behind you if your technology didn't work, right? Um, but it's about, it's about um, being able to align, right, to, to that customer's care about, to that customer's outcome they're trying to achieve. And, and we spend a lot of time with our clients um, helping them to talk about their technology in that in that um, arena, as opposed to you know from a from a you know bits and bytes perspective. I promise to keep these podcasts. Um, basically, I wanted people to listen to them on the way into work. It was my way of coming up with a podcast version of Quibi. Um, so <laughs> I'm going to pivot to the couple of questions that we ask all of our guests, um, and each of you can answer. Um, the first one is, and I'll start with you, Heath. Um, when did coronavirus get real for you? When did you realize that this was going to be something uh, more than just the flu, that this was going to be some sort of, you know, 9-11 level event? I, it was the week after spring break, March, week of March 23rd, went to the grocery store and all the shelves were empty. I mean, uh, the, the staples, the meat, uh, it was a surreal experience. I'd never seen anything like it. Um, and, and so that was a, that was a turning point for me. How about you, Glenn? Yeah. So, you know, when you kind of go through the questions, Peter, the, the, when COVID got real for me is the exact same answer to, um, the next question, which was, what was my last normal day? Yeah. <laughs> they were the, they were the, they were the same, right. And it was similar to Heath, right. On, um, actually it was March 20th, which I believe was a Friday. 
around that same time, they had shut down my daughter's school and my wife also got notification that her medical office um, in dermatology, which was not deemed an essential service, was going to be shut down to July 1. Her management had taken that uh, that approach, uh, at least in what we were hearing early on. So in literally in in 24 hour period, um, kind of I had been traveling earlier in the week had come home um, and you know, really not paying a whole lot of attention to what was going on. But but that's when both uh, coronavirus became real. And that was really kind of the end of um, the, the last normal quote, the, the old normal day was, you know, those two things happening within the course of 72 hours of one another. And how about you, John? Yeah, very similar. Um, Mid-March uh, spring break, we went over to the Panhandle to the beach and um, the very next day, um, you know, we come to find out it, I mean, we were there for one night, right? Everything seemed somewhat normal. And the very next day, beaches got closed. Uh, outlet malls were closed. Restaurants went to take out only. Um, so we, we, we packed up our Yukon and turned around and drove back home. Um, and, and that's kind of when it, when it hit home that, wait a minute, this is, uh, this is not going to be, uh, kind of a, 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 a short-term thing. This is, this is going to be pretty impactful and it's going to be here for a while. Have you guys seen each other in person? I mean, I don't, I mean, there's no social distancing police, but have you guys had a meeting <laughs> together uh, in person? We have not. We have not. No, not particularly with me being here in Tampa. So, I mean, we, we yeah. talk, you know, frequently um, have our standing calls and then, of course, have intermediary calls in between on a regular basis. So talking a lot, but as far as seeing each other in person, um, we have not. And that's, that's really kind of... Um, you know, that, that's something that's not normal as well. You know, either either John and Heath are down here or I'm up in Tallahassee usually a couple times a month. So, you know, it's it, we have not been able to do that. Wow. Um, I, I'm just thinking about what it must be like for people today who have probably there's a lot of people who haven't seen each other for 60 days and are bumping into each other for the first time. I actually want to go. I just want to go like drive by some of the restaurants in St. Petersburg. Uh, where we were at, you know, uh, yep. uh, Park Shore, it's been kind of funny, Park Shore, uh, which, you know, is one of my favorites. I know you guys like it. It's, um, they've had a robust kind of cocktails to go, uh, program mm. and it's become more robust as the quarantine has kind of, you know, lingered on where it's kind of turned into a scene, you know, like mm. where, People are respecting the social distancing, but there's kind of like car bar hopping, which I don't know if that was the best idea. <laughs> um, but you just saw people were just, they were at the end of their leash and they just, yep. and like downtown St. Pete was nowhere near capacity or anything like that. But there were definitely, there was definitely a thing going on where people were like, you know, hanging out at one place and then they would drive to the next place and pick up a drink there or stuff like that. It's been, it's been interesting to see how people have uh, not skirted, but just like, in fact, they're not skirting, they're, they're promoting cocktails to go. We actually would buy, sometimes we would buy cocktails to go and literally dump them out having had enough cocktails just because we wanted to like, you know, support the bartenders and yep. waiters that we um, like so much. Um, uh, Heath and John, when was the last normal day? What was the last normal day for you all? What did that feel like? Well, I'll tell you for me, it was, it was March 12th. Uh, and it was, it was a usual day, you know, you, uh, engaging clients, uh, 
engaging, you know, uh, government representatives. Uh, the we knew that the people were starting to switch gears and, and looking at the, the possibility of working remotely and how do they do that. Uh, so it, it wasn't quite uh, full full force, but yeah, March March twelfth has been a long time. Do you get asked like so like you know if you've got a lawyer friend, they get asked all sorts of legal advice. And even though it's like, well, I practice real estate law and it's like, well, I just kind of do a car accident. What does that mean? Like, have you been asked like a hundred times how to make zoom work for people or, you know, how to, you know, solve like, Oh, but don't you work in technology? Like almost like you're the best by geek squad guy. I mean, is that, yep. does that happen to you? Mostly from my wife, but, uh, <laughs> uh, occasionally, you know, it's, it's more of, not how to make something work, but hey, what's uh, what should we be using? Yeah, yeah. I'm actually like I'm I am kind of amazed at some of the, you know, like I love the that email protocol that started up, and it's just like you got to appreciate American ingenuity and like in our our still our entrepreneurial spirit that people come up with all these startups even in the in the in the face of a pandemic. They are coming up with all these technological startups all the time, trying to solve, you know, issues that you didn't even think that you had and all the apps that get rolled out and people still working at it. It's it's fascinating to me how um, that spirit, which I just don't believe is in other countries at that same level. I mean, that's not to say that we're better or worse, but just if you have a if you can build a better mousetrap in your garage, you know, the world will beat a door to, uh, will beat a path to your door. And you just see people continuing to do that. I mean, again, I mentioned Quibi and I feel bad because I think Quibi is a great service. Like, I don't know if you guys are following it, the, the short form video. I love the turnstile yeah. thing. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's a great way of being able to, uh, you know, just as you're moving around. Um, and it's like, I don't know if they're going to make it because they started, you know, on a pan in a pandemic. Um, yeah. All right, just John, go ahead. What was your last uh, normal day like? Yeah, I mean, it's it's about like everybody else's, right? It's pre-spring break, you know, client meetings, um, going out and about, planning planning future travel. Uh, my kids were in school, right? I have I have four children, um, and three of them are school age, and one of them is a two year old, and now they're they're all at home, right, every day, which has has been quite a challenge. So, um, just like uh, everybody else is experiencing, so just just those dynamics, right, um, are 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 you know pretty different. So, yeah, about about you know March tenth, March twelfth, something like that, um, was was probably the last time. We could do an entire podcast on on basically like school from home at this point and all the things <laughs> that are right with it and all the things I, you know, I feel the kids are, the kids are doing really well, like in terms of their spirit and what they have gone through. I got to tell you the kids that I see, I know that there's a lot of kids. I've heard that there's a lot of kids, quite honestly, a lot of my dad friends who have kids that are like 10, 11, 12, they're having a little bit of trouble because they really do miss the socializing. But I think the young kids have done, they're so, I, I can't believe that they're still even paying attention. I mean, that's, it's yeah. amazing watching them. All right. Well, longest, real quick, I, I think two quick things, Peter, I, you know, talking about how this is going to change, right? The future. We talked about the, 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 digital, the digital transformation that's occurring, right? 
Um, we talk about that. But our, our kids, right? I talk about, you know, with my 10-year-old all the time now, like, this is your this is your 9-11. This is your, uh, your Kennedy assassination. This is your 08 financial meltdown, right? This is your, your generation's thing, right? And what, what, how is it going to impact you? How, how are you feeling about it? How are you reacting to it? What are you learning right now in it that you may not even realize, right? And I think we're going to find that this generation's kids, whatever it is, generation Z, Y, whatever that, whatever it is, um, that it, this is going to, you know, kind of change them in a in a pretty big way, and I think it's going to be interesting to, you know, to, to watch unfold. Generation Corona. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, just for the sake of um, keeping this podcast tight, usually I ask for like three recommendations of stuff that you're reading or watching, downloading, playing, whatever. If you don't have three, that's fine. So. Um, I'll start with you, John. John, you got any recommendations on what people should be reading, watching, downloading right now? Yes, I'll be quick. And I get this question asked all the time, and I give I give the same answer every time. So um, you shouldn't have to be told to watch The Last Dance. We talked about that earlier, <laughs> the, the, uh, the 10-part docuseries on ESPN around uh, Air Jordan. Um, so you shouldn't even have to be told to do that. You should be doing that anyway. But um, the two the two uh, t- television shows that I that I tell everybody is number one the greatest um, and I think I've heard you say it which is spot on the greatest piece of art uh, ever created which is The Wire um, it's on uh, Netflix you can watch it um, and and if you haven't seen that tonight you have to turn that on you have to start um, and the other one is Yellowstone Kevin Costner's back yeah. uh, with a vengeance and it's Yellowstone's pretty strong it's uh it's it's the 2020 version of I guess Dallas uh, um, <laughs> for those uh, you know for those of you who who've, who've seen that so it's pretty it's pretty awesome so Yellowstone the wire um, two totally different shows but go go watch it downtown Baltimore downtown Baltimore and uh, and uh, Yellowstone in Montana so are, are the settings there but um, reading. Going back to a point you just said, go check out an article called It's Time to Build by Mark Andreessen. Yeah. Uh, Mark Andreessen is the founder of Andreessen Horowitz, um, one of the most successful um, venture capital firms in Silicon Valley. He's also a successful founder himself, um, founded and, and exited quite a few uh, companies that that we all use and, and are, are aware of today. But um, he has a great article around um, that very thing you just mentioned, which is American ingenuity and 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 how um, it is time now. Now is the time to double down on innovation, on on building of of ideas um, and new things. Both both private sector, individual, entrepreneurial, and government all need to take that. It's time to build approach um, because we have a very uh, while we're we're going through quite a challenge, we have quite an opportunity um, at at our feet that we can that we can take advantage of now as well. And to your point, Peter, um, that's been the case throughout American history. We've taken advantage of that um, opportunity with American ingenuity, and and now should be no different. Keith, how about you? What are you watching and reading right now? Although you're walking on like a big beautiful piece of property, and it's like. It's what makes me so envious of Tallahassee. Uh, <laughs> just how much, you know, space you all have here as uh, compared to St. Petersburg. So go ahead. What are you watching, uh, reading, downloading? Uh, I'll start with reading. Uh, I think there's two. Uh, start with Why by Simon Sink. He does a lot of great TED Talks. Uh, mm. But reading the book, you know, Glenn mentioned it earlier. It's really about the, the why, not the how. 
so it's a great book. Uh, another one from uh, Colin Powell. It worked for me. You know, a lot of his lessons on on leadership, but also how it translates uh, just into your everyday life. Uh, so I'm I'm a big you know science fiction guy when it comes to watching television. So you can't go wrong. Uh, I have to mention it's it's May fourth, so may the fourth be with you. Watch a Star Wars show. Uh, I know my kids like it. They're they're excited uh, to watch the last one. Uh, came out on Disney Plus today. So uh, uh, again, that's kind of you know with I have three kids at home, uh, and so watching stuff. It's usually if it's not uh, animated, I don't get a chance to watch it very often. So uh, uh, I'm gonna have to wait until they get back in school and figure out some stuff to watch. Are your kids watching Clone Wars? Uh, yes, my uh, they they are. They they wanted me to watch it with them, but uh, they like to get up you know, in the middle of the night and and they watch it without me, and then I catch them and uh, send them back to bed at you know three <laughs> o'clock in the morning. Got it. All right, Glenn, we're gonna have you uh, land the plane here on everything. Give oh, us your your wrecks. Sounds good. Well, a lot of the TV shows uh, have already been touched on, so I will just uh, give them an affirmative. Um, obviously, we're watching some of the same things, but I will tell you as it relates to a book, uh, one that I am uh, very much into right now is a book by the name of The Ruthless em uh, Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. Fantastic, mm. fantastic book. Um, amazingly timely. This book was published in 2019, obviously pre-COVID. Um, so for me, I've found myself sitting still more than I ever have in a long time because of um, what's going on with COVID. Had this book um, come to me, and it has just been really an eye-opening experience. Uh, really, you know, to use a tagline, it's it's really staying emotionally healthy and spiritually alive in the chaos of a modern world, right? And really kind of digging into the fact that the secret isn't having more time; it's what you do with the time you have. Um, and acknowledging the fact that it, we're all busy, whether you're, you know, a politician, whether you're in the private sector, whether you're a mother, doesn't matter. We're all busy, but we choose to be in a hurry. Right. Um, and so that's it's been a really um, good read. So I'd, I'd highly encourage that um, a lot of both professional, personal and spiritual dynamics that, of course, all feed on one another. Um, it's great. Great read. I I. I just want to close and say I appreciate all of you all's time today. Um, I know how you guys are busy. This one went a little bit longer. Um, I hope you guys are safe. I can't wait to see you guys and we can geek out again. I mean, I felt like we started talking right before all this. And, um, you know, now it's like a totally different world in a way um, or in many ways, actually. So thank you for coming on and hunkering down. Um, I hope, the you know, like I said, I hope I get to see you guys soon. Thank you, Peter. Likewise. Thanks for what you're doing, Peter. All right. Thank, thank you. you.